Welcome to Hacked in the Dark, a podcast featuring Forge in the Dark games and their designers. I'm Justin. My name is Ray. And we'll be your host for today's episode, Subway Runners and Emergent Play. Today we sit down with our guests, Dan and Kali of Gem Room Games, to talk about Subway Runners. Welcome, Dan and Kali. Hi. Hi. Thanks for having us on. Of course, it's our pleasure. So we would like to know a little bit about you before we get into your game. Would you mind telling us who you are? what you do, and what's your experience in game design? Sure. So Kali and I are a husband and wife team who met at a library school in Los Angeles, and we're both professionally working in uh, the information field. Kali's an archivist and artist. I don't know why I'm introducing you. You can introduce yourself. (laughs) You're doing great. Oh, thank you. I'm in records management. So that's sort of our uh, day job angle on all this and also how we met and informs a lot of how we approach at least the writing and information presentation aspect of the games we write. Yeah, uh, we turned into Gem Room Games because um, Dan was working individually creating games and started asking me for notes as a playtester and then a bit more notes and then some editing. And eventually I was doing enough on his games that it made sense for us to just start putting them out together. And that's Gem Room Games. What is librarian school? I must know. <laughs> so it turns out if you're not sick at college, you can keep going and get a graduate degree in information science. Technically, we are both masters of information. Which is not as cool as it sounds. <laughs> and that, that covers librarianship, public librarianship, archival work, records management. Um, there's a lot more uh, sort of slowly introducing uh, more digital aspects and uh, information management in more of a database-y, metadata-y sense. But it all kind of comes back to getting your information in a way where you can find it again and make it usable. I don't know. That sounds pretty cool. You, she must be very good at research, which is one of my weaknesses in terms of design, I have to say. In some ways, very good at research. In some ways, spectacular at organizing things. Uh, in other ways, not so great at either of those things. It's kind of hit or miss. Yeah, I think if you looked at my the desktop on my computer, it would be the height of irony. Like there's there's definitely an aspect of what is it the shoemakers kids who have bare feet? Yeah, type of thing? that there's a strong that energy. The, I'm I'm looking over at the uh, bookshelf that is all the books are organized by size, which is not typically That's a valid way to organize books. You've got oversized sections in every library. Yeah. <laughs> I want to pull on this a little bit because I am now getting flashbacks to when I was nine years old at my local county public library, and there was a fat stack of Dragon magazine in that <laughs> library. And mm-hmm, I had no mm-hmm. idea what D&D was at the time, but I remember, and now I can make the connection that there was a bunch of RPG stuff at my local library. So what percentage is is role-playing a preferred hobby amongst archivists 
Well, well, Dan's the one who was briefly running D&D for the dean of our school, so... Yeah, that was my in. Nobody could get any time with the guy who ran our program, and I was like, oh yeah, he's he's gonna be... I'm, I'm running 13th Age with this cat next week, if you have any questions I can bring up to him. So there's definitely some overlap. I mean, I, I think, you know, a lot of people go to library school because they're under the misapprehension that they're gonna get to spend all their time with books, and people who like to spend all their time with books and people who like to play tabletop RPGs, that that's a I'm not gonna say that Venn diagram's a circle, but there's some some substantial overlap there. So the short answer is yes. There are there are a fair number of people playing tabletop RPGs. I know I was uh reading Dragon Magazine in libraries, Ray, like more than a decade before I actually played the game. <laughs> For sure. Man. Yeah, I read a lot of that stuff and I didn't even know what it was about. Right. Uh, at the time. Absolutely. I had no idea. I was like, what is this crazy, like, gibberish magazine that, like, <laughs> I, I had no idea. There was, like, no context for it. And... But we're not here to talk about D&D. Oh, thank God. <laughs> we're here to talk about Subway Runners. And I wonder if, Kali, could you give us a summary of what Subway Runners is about? The premise of Subway Runners is that you are gig economy workers in a city where immortality has been discovered. That may sound great, but it means nobody retires. So the only jobs available are these kind of crappy gig economy jobs, cleaning up the subway and fixing broken lines. And the main thing is being a magical city where the secret to immortality was discovered means that it's very much a dig too deep, dig too greedily situation of just they're constantly uncovering necromancers and monsters and portals to other dimensions in expanding the subway line. And someone has to clean up all that stuff. So that's your your job as subway runners. So many questions. So much on the mind. I want to ask about the graphic design elements of subway runner so it is gorgeous it it has this really really kind of deep purple color with teal text and this kind of like almost neon fluorescent orangey pink and it just really pops from a graphic design standpoint and certainly reinforcing sort of the gig economy and all the things you mentioned could you talk a little bit about the inspiration and the design choices with regards to the aesthetic of the project so visually, we were looking at a lot of vaporwave stuff when we were putting this together. <laughs> That's really where the colors came from, and that also encouraged a lot of the tone for us. Yeah, the premise is kind of, you could go a lot of ways with it towards some really bleak you could go full Morkborg if you wanted, and we we wanted it to be very kind of almost sarcastic. Like we wanted it to be sort of light and very modern feeling. Jovial is a really good word for it. Like like we wanted it to feel very very chill and very it, you know this was a a game that was written to be played online. We we didn't want that to feel incongruous with with the aesthetic and the the tone of the game. There's also an illustration that we've turned to a couple times now. I'd have to find that. Yeah. Well, Dan found this illustration of three teens wearing cat ears and goofy clothes and they're 
taking selfies in a subway station with disapproving older people behind them and it's bright and fun and that kind of vibe really influenced uh, both the visuals of subway runners but also the general tone. You mentioned something that is really attractive to me about this game which is that it's built to be run online. Why did you come to that kind of as a design pillar and how does that work? What makes it specifically capable of being run online? Well, at least here in Los Angeles, pandemic shutdown was a pretty recent development. So yeah. we were trying hard to find ways to play games online with our friends. And we kept running into all these systems that just didn't quite work well. So we decided to make a game that was intended to work well online over Zoom, over Discord, whatever your favorite platform was, but something that you could play with your friends from a distance while safely observing your pandemic isolation rules. Yeah, the uh, the social isolation aspect was a big part of it. And also just something that was a big part of that transition for us is we were used to playing games in person with people and playing games in person with people that typically ran three hours, three and a half, you know, on a given. That on Zoom, man, especially after you've been in meetings all day, forget about it. Like it was exhausting running games for that long. So we wanted to make a game that people could play easily online without any external, you know, there, there's a lot of guides on how to play popular tabletop RPGs online of, oh, this is how you can make it work. And we wanted that to be baked into the game itself. So there was no need for external best practices or anything. It was part of how this runs. Yeah, we wanted a game that you could just get right into and already be playing. Also, I just found out about Perchance and how you could make a random generator really, really fast. And I really wanted to use that to make a game. And that seemed also useful here. Can you talk a little bit about Perchance and how you used it to design the um, random generation that is a big part of sort of how you play this game? So Perchance is something that I came across because a lot of designers in, I think Tunnel Goons has a character generator that uses it, a couple of OSR games. For games that have very light character creation, it's a really great tool to, to spit out a character very quickly. And what's nice about Perchance on the back end is you don't need to know very much about programming or HTML or CSS because it has baked in themes and a very sort of native programming aspect where most of what you're doing is generating tables and knowing where to put the brackets. Granted, if you do know programming languages, you can make something a lot more cool, but that's not necessarily required for you to get started with it. It was a really good fit for us because we didn't have a ton of experience developing something like a standalone app that would have really been an ambitious project. This was a way to get something stood up very quickly that did basically what we wanted. We wanted something that would generate results very quickly and let us play with digital tools to make it an essential part of the game without having to get deep into the programming and also hosting or any of those aspects. 
There is also something that really affected the development of this game, which is that, so Dan comes to me saying, hey, I'm really excited about Perchance. Maybe we can make a game using that, but let's not put too much time into it. This is just an experiment. Let's do this in a weekend. And it ended up taking four days, including a play test. So we we were really hustling on that. And that's why we really chose to work in Perchance instead of trying to, say, find an app developer and turn it into something much grander scaled. I think that's really interesting. And we're going to talk a lot more about random tables and maybe how you how you implement them with Subway Runners shortly. But I kind of want to ask you a few more basic questions before we get into that. The first one being, why Forge in the Dark? Why choose Blades in the Dark as a base for your design? So there's a lot of things I really like about Blades in the Dark and the Forged in the Dark framework of designing games. One of which is Blades in the Dark is kind of two and a half games on its own. Three, if you if you really kind of dig into it, there's the doing the job. There's the faction level play. There's so many interconnecting parts. It really gives you more than what you need. And when you're setting out to make a game using it, especially if it's a relatively small game that you want to bring together really quick, it, it, it's almost more a game of, okay, what can I take out? What can I safely remove or simplify? Instead of having to add things, a fair amount of it is either what can I replace or what can I edit out? The other reason that I think we used Force in the Dark is it really, at its core, gives the table a lot of agency. It gives the players a lot of opportunities to really take the wheel. It is very clear about who is responsible and who owns what part of every die roll. And I really like that aspect of it. It's something that I think is really compelling to me as a as both a player and as someone who runs games as a as a GM. I really like that aspect of it. And it's something that once you sort of get that effect and position logic sorted out, it's really easy to blow that open and explore other ways to, to use that. I want to circle back to the genre a little bit. You mentioned that it takes place in a world where immortality has been achieved and it's about these gig economy workers and it's called Subway Runners. I don't think... I have an exact match genre-wise and media that comes to my head when, when I think of those things. So tonally, what is the vibe that you're trying to go for with the game of Subway Runners? Like, what do you envision it looking like and kind of feeling like? And inspirations. What are your inspirations? One word that does come to mind is irreverent. Yeah, I, I think it's kind of tricky because, and we had this same problem with High Magic Low Lives where, you, you know, when you say urban fantasy, urban fantasy implies, okay, we're going to take New York, but now there's wizards. We're going to take wizards and we're going to put them in New York. There isn't a great term, and we lean on science fantasy a lot, and that's probably the, the genre term I would use, because I don't, I mean, I, I guess Dungeon Punk technically has a TV tropes page, but I don't, it, nobody knows what that means. Or my parents certainly don't. But the, the idea of taking the opposite of, oh, we've got a weird fantasy city, now put cell phones in it. Now put, now put 
millennials and teenagers and Lyft in that situation? And what does that look like? It's a little bit breaking some genre tropes, some fantasy tropes by introducing elements that are unfamiliar to them. There's a movie that I went to a lot when we were writing it that I, I actually haven't seen in a long time, but it was this movie I watched. It came out in 2003. It's this Hungarian dark comedy called Control with like a K and two L's at the end. That's just <laughs> this sort of dark comedy about these guys who work <laughs> as ticket collectors in the subway and never go above ground. They just are constantly living on uh, underground and, you know, finding weird stuff in the subway. So like that, with but with wizards. So for, for all you control heads out there <laughs> that have also... <laughs> Spent way too much time in the early aughts on the Apple trailers website looking for what to rent from the local like video rental place. What I'm hearing is this movie control, this weird movie control, uh, Persona, the video game. Oh, Neverwhere by Neil Gaiman mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and uh, Dungeons and Dragons. Is that, is that, is that what it is? <laughs> I can't believe we forgot about Persona 5 because there's literally a, a psychological death subway maze under Persona 5, which I spent way too much time playing. Yeah, definitely. I think you nailed it. I think you answered <laughs> uh, the question pretty good. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for that. I, I think, I'd, yeah, swap out uh, Dungeons and Dragons with Troika and I think we're there. Yeah. Gotcha. Perfect clarity. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. That does actually clarify what this game is about to me quite a bit. So that said, you're both working on this game and it sounds like you've you've worked on another game before. Was it was it just a high magic low lives? <laughs> Thank you. Had you worked on a game together previous to that? That one ended up being backburnered because the scope of it kept growing and growing and growing until it was a decade-long project mm. and we wanted to actually get something out sometime sooner than that. I mean, you know, the scope of High Magic Low Lives also ballooned. But basically, so the first project we worked on was kind of a spiritual sequel to not, I mean, you know, it, it was kind of the first game I'd written solo if you don't count that first game everyone writes where you work on it and then you sort of ship of Theseus it past like four yeah. games and if you just stopped you would have made four games but you couldn't because you didn't know to because you're so excited to do tabletop RPG design for the first this time. This is something I bring to Jam Room Games is saying, no, stop. This is a good product. We're stopping here. Write that down. That's the next game. So the first game I made when I gave myself a deadline was a game called Nine Lives to Valhalla. It was a zine game about death metal Viking cats who want to get into Valhalla, but you have nine lives. That was the first game I made. And then what we wanted to make after that was to make a bigger game set in that world called Age of Beasts, where you could be more than just cats. To clarify, we had a lot of people who played Nine Lives and went, wow, this is great, but I'd really like to play as a dog or a rabbit or a lizard. Yeah, it got and real. we started thinking, well, why shouldn't they? What if we created this whole world where you could play as any number of creatures? The big 
element is it's a it's sort of a, a red wall esque dark fantasy where all the humans are gone and sort of fill the role of your dark forbidden elder gods that if they come back they'll take over everything and you know so there's a everyone's really worried about the cult of the leash and they're trying to bring the humans back and put them back in charge and take everything away from the animals again so we worked on age of beasts for a bit age of beasts was blowing up in scale so we ended up putting a pin on that and working on high magic low lives yeah which the idea there was so age of beasts was a forge in the dark game but it was going to be this big modular zine thing and and there you know it was going to have a kickstarter it was going to be this whole and then that got big and we didn't have time to do it right in you know and we had a kid we had a kid so that that was very like didn't want to have a kid and a kickstarter at the same time that was that we would have died so we decided okay probably could just focus on a much more narrow concept which was high magic low lives which is your wizard school dropouts and all of the treasures been got there's nothing left to do but take up a, a life of crime with half of a wizarding education and you have figured out as your wizard, wizard school dropouts that <laughs> sure the aristocracy might be willing to hire you to go beat up other people and steal their treasure but if you just steal the treasure you get a much bigger payday yeah uh it, it's sort of just the question of um in your your typical fantasy quest the king of town says i'll give you 50 gold to go do this incredibly dangerous thing that i don't want to do and the question as the person who typically plays rogues in the back of my mind was why don't we just beat you up why are we going over there for 50 gold? You've got 50 gold. You've probably got more than 50 gold. Why are we going over there? And it's just that as the baseline assumption of how you are going to interact with, uh, with this game and reward that behavior. So it seems as though Gem Room Games has also found itself under the crucible of the Forge and the Dark System, like so many of us for years and years. Subway Runners is amongst the most simple Forge in the Dark hacks out there. How did you arrive at a place where it has the simplicity that it has? And when did you know it was okay to take out modules and actually mess and wholesale remove things from, from the system? That is an interesting question. And I, I think we're, we're either good at this or we got very lucky. So... One of the things we did to keep it simple was we picked a premise and some hard-framed narrative conceits that would make it very easy to keep things tight. One of the advantages of setting it in a subway is that really means where you're going and why is it incredibly defined. You don't even really need a map. Subway Runners doesn't have a map because all you need to know is, okay, where are you and where are you going? And, and, what's, and there's a subway line between them. And you'll find weird stuff in that subway. So that really made it a lot easier to take out a lot of aspects of Blades in the Dark that are built to accommodate it's a big open city and you can go anywhere. 
you're under the city, you can't go anywhere. You have to go to these defined spaces. There's either, you're either on a, on a line or you're at a station. And having that aspect of it really made it very easy to follow the thematic elements. We kept the stress mechanic. You have this resource in stress, you can spend that to get more dice, you can spend that to resist things. What we got rid of was the very personal aspect of what's your vice? How do you personally get rid of this? Because that's what Blades in the Dark is about. This isn't really as worried about it. It was enough to say, when you get to a station, you can spend a couple hours above ground, get some fresh air, get some sunlight, see some things. We're going to montage that out. While you're up there, the GM's going to come up with some kind of complication that'll make you kind of regret having done it, but everybody's stress is cleared and you can keep playing. There were also the constraints of online play that had an effect there. As Dan mentioned, a multi-hour Zoom call after you've been in Zoom meetings all day is exhausting, so we wanted subway runners to be punchy and to get right to the action. If you're not worried about downtime and the sort of Uh, the parts of the game that let you breathe, then you can set those aside and really focus on the action of it. That sounds like it would make for a great one-shot. Is is Subway Runners particularly aimed at one-shots? Since I know that's a popular way to play online. Yeah, it's very one-shot oriented. We found a way to make it so that you could save your character sheet if you wanted to. The default (laughs) assumption that we had was... You you go to the generator and you get a new character. There are ways in which spells can go wrong where it just says, oh, all right, new character right now. You're a different person. You've been transformed. Moving on. Can we talk about that more? This, this is probably a great time to transition to our topic of emergent play, which includes, for example, you know, things like character creation, uh, random generators, that kind of stuff. But also, you know, the idea of you're playing this game once you need to have all the fiction come at you in an easily to digest package. And it seems like that's kind of what you're aiming for with Subway Runners of, of having everything just come out of a single session of, of some random tables and numbers, etc. So can you walk us through what is like character creation and like world create? When we start a game of Subway Runners, what does that look like? Well, as a player, you go to perchance.org slash Subway Runners and there's your character creation. So the sort of feel of it is, and the the way it's written in the rules, you're you're not supposed to think about this too hard. The way it's written and the the encouraged behavior is you're going to pull up your your contractor file with a completely random jump number for your contract file number, and you're going to skim through it. And if you like it, great. And if you don't, you hit the that's not my file button, and you do that till you're till you sound like it's someone you could play. Ray, would you like to create a character with me? I'm way ahead of you. I'm already okay. ready. Do you have yours yet? I do. I'll, do you mind if I go through my character? Absolutely not. Go ahead. Okay, so while Dan was talking, I just went to the website and it, it brought everything up. My, my character is Monroe Gauze. Their height is knee-high to a grasshopper. <laughs> but they have a burly build, so they're, they're very low to the ground. Rainbow hair and hazel eyes... They have a hard vibe. I'm not quite sure what that means, but I'm sure I could figure it out. Reputation, I dared not to do drugs. Uh, and my side hustle is sending texts for billionaire politicians. That's my side hustle? Wow. My goal is to solve the mystery of the lost isle of Howard. 
Is that a goal I could accomplish in one game, do you think? I think I absolutely believe in you. We got to <laughs> figure out where that island is, but we can we can get there, man. I believe in us. It's interesting uh, looking over my actions. I won't mention them all, but I am very good, a very good pilot. And I am inspiring, which is an interesting choice. Uh, I wonder, as a very short gentleman, what it is I pilot. What kind of things might I expect to be able to pilot in this game? I also wonder that. I mean, you could pilot subway cars mm-hmm. or those those um, what you know those those old timey. Uh, you you pump them up and down, and they go along the the tracks. But I think if you're that small, you could probably you could probably pick up a drone for a, a coin or two and fly that around. That's that's probably available. Those little like four co- or quadcopters that are you can get. It's um, I haven't been in a mall for so long, y'all. The real question here is, what do you pilot? <laughs> oh yeah, that's the better answer. I just make you answer the question, right? I think it would be an insect of some kind. Yeah, that's a better answer. Probably a grasshopper since I am knee high to one. Mm hmm. Oh, you've got your reference grasshopper. Yeah, exactly. My special ability is can do a front handspring, step out round off back handspring, step out round off back handspring, full twisting layup. Uh, wow. <laughs> so I am I am a gymnast as well, which is surprising given my unfortunately low sprint ability (laughs) and performance i must not you know no one says exactly i can do this one move Mm -hmm. maybe that's the only move that i'm very good at and then uh other than that just going through i want to hear what ray's character is like but i i have rock magic and a dictionary of killing words which is actually my like go-to weapon of choice apparently so a little bit of um death note my character Ray, what do, what do you have for us? What did you create? My character's name is Chilean Xerxes. I have chocolate brown hair, and I am trying to eat all 100 entries of Dean Sturgeon's Dining Delicacy. I have tried 22 <laughs> on 23. I'm curious with that knowledge what your lunch order is. My lunch order is a miso idamame California roll. Japanese restaurant. <laughs> this is great there there are so many variables on here there's like there's gotta be at least a dozen things on this character sheet man <laughs> at least one of my favorite things that people tend to notice halfway through games is that the list of what your actions are uh are not consistent from character to character so you might have verbs that other characters wouldn't have mm-hmm game runs fine with it you know you don't need a consistent language there we provide a really brief breakdown of of each one and what it's good for somewhere in the rules but the idea is if it sounds right if you can make it make sense we're we're here to play not to not to go into the dictionary if you can make it work then it works regarding the number of variables on the back end these are all just randomized tables so we got mm-hmm. to have a lot of fun filling in tables and that sort of structure made it easy to juggle so many things. If something jumps out at you and you go, wow, I can really ground my character in this. I can really bring this up and have fun with it. You can do that. 
also there's so much that if something kind of falls flat to you it's okay if you don't play with that part there's something else that can be more exciting would you like to hear what your uh, character's available gig is now that you've signed up to be members of the Subway Runners platform? So congratulations, Subway Runners. The following job is available near you. If your crew is ready to take on this opportunity, please confirm the Emerald Line is out between the Garment District and Silvered Lake. All we know is a master thief tried to steal a moving train last week. If service is not restored, parking in Gnome Town will be even worse. The crew that restores service will receive free dinner at Jumbo's Clown Room. Wow. What the subway runners don't know is that the Church of Nightmare Hands is in the process of cursing the line. Please confirm by repeating the following confirmation code 042A. And if you don't like that gig, I've got a button right here that says next gig and I can come up with another one. <laughs> I like that gig. All right. I hope that lunch is worth it at that restaurant. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's uh, those of you who are, live in Los Angeles. Yuck. Um, anyways, <laughs> so there, and then it, at, on the GM side, you get them to agree to one of these various gigs. And then there's a link to the uh, Metro information kiosk for our hosts. You can get to it at perchance.org slash run subway runners. And it's just uh, descriptions of stations, people, how much money they carry, how to embody them, rumors and the likelihood of their being true. And, and, Stuff that you can use. And the idea being, this is more than you need. It should be enough. And if you run out, you can refresh the page. And it's it's sort of enough line that as a GM, you can probably keep the ball in the air for about two hours, give or take, until everyone's kind of tired of being on Zoom. And then you give them whatever the final problem is that makes sense given all the other nonsense you've been saying for the rest of the game. And they fix the line and they, they get the thing or things go terribly awry and everyone gets terribly wounded and they, they cut out, which is a, you know, I don't think it, we've encountered that end quite yet, but I tend to also be a big softy when I GM. So either way, adventure. Yeah. So I think our, Listeners would be interested in knowing how does magic work in Subway Runners? It's sort of limited only by your imagination. One of the great things about Blades in the Dark is it gives you everything you need to succeed. But like the PBTA games that that it came from, the most likely result is you're going to succeed, but everything's going to escalate in some way that is a terrible disaster. And that's great for magic. That's great for magic, especially if you do not want to write a spell book, which I do not want to write a spell book. So the way magic works in Subway Runners is you have your domain, which is rock magic or turnip magic or party magic. And you can cast any spell as long as it is thematically appropriate to your domain. And you use your magic die to cast it, and that's how many rolls you get. The only thing to bear in mind is the severity of how bad the result will be if you roll poorly is limited by how much are you trying to do with your spell. It very much plays into the position and effect aspects that are already built into the game. The only thing that is made clear to the players in the rules is... What's different about magic is the consequences don't have to make sense anymore. 
That's what makes magic special. If you try and stab someone with a sword, only so many things can happen as a result of you're trying to stab something with a sword. If you try and summon a sword from the astral plane, you don't know what's coming with it. And it could be anything. So it, it that's sort of the, the baked-in balance is you are fine to try and do a lot with magic as long as you understand that the world is ready to push back just as hard. And then the way the game makes good on that is it makes sure that on the GM side, it's giving the GM, if you can't think of a, a better mishap to come as a result of their arcane hubris, it gives you, okay, well, here's something weird that can happen that's about appropriate. You know, you grow a weird appendage. Your spells only work if they rhyme now. And that's just true for the rest of the game. Kali and Dan, do you have a favorite random table entry that you yourselves have created? Oh, it's like picking between children. Okay. <laughs> so there is a section on the GM side for magical mishaps. Ah, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> and the, yeah, and I stole your answer. And the magical mishaps, you just decide, is this a minor, moderate, severe, or apocalyptic spell? And when they roll, because they're going to roll a five or less, what are you going to do? My favorite result in all of Subway Runners is that if you cast a spell and roll a five or less, and the spell is significantly big to have apocalyptic mishap caliber results... It opens a portal and you are transported to the Tomb of the Serpent Kings. And then it provides a link to a 2017 Blogspot article <laughs> where you can download that adventure. And now you're just playing that game and you're not playing Subway Runners anymore. Now you're just playing a completely different game because somebody cast a spell and they messed it up. I don't know if anyone's ever actually done it, but I love the the, the idea that the game just tells you, OK, yeah, you, it's over now. Now download this. Now run this game. I love Tomb of the Serpent Kings. I think that's so funny. My question for you in regards to Subway Runners random tables. Does it use 2d6? I mean, it doesn't have to. Oh, sacrilege. What's nice about perchance <laughs> is A, the table can be exactly the die size as you have good ideas. And B, you can wait certain answers. I don't think we use that too terribly much in, in this. But for the stat array, you can make it so that you're more or less likely to get a four, you know, as opposed to a zero. I, I think we just took zero out. I think people were too bummed about getting zeros. Especially since it tended to be a one shot. If you got stat after stat that was just zero, that wasn't as much fun. So this was sort of our opportunity to get to get weird with probabilities. If this were a game where it was maybe going to go into a book. We did briefly talk about how we might convert it into something that you could actually pick up a die and roll it. But part of the fun that we had creating Subway Runners is that there are tables where there are only four possible outcomes and there are tables where there are 26 or 30. If we had 10, and got some really fun idea, then it could be 11 and we don't have to cut something out. And you don't have to find an 11-sided die either. It's just however much we want to be there. Yeah, get weird with dice. Go nuts. The RPG cops won't find you. Well, it sounds like nothing is sacred with subway runners, and that's part of the fun. <laughs> <laughs> 
and that's one of the goals. <laughs> and maybe that's part of the secret to emergent play too, is to not hold on too tightly to established fiction. Is there anything about Subway Runners other than the basic premise you told us that is like canon? I, I feel like there's really more canon in the premise than you need. Like why, why you're working, you know, the whole thing about immortality and, and no one retiring, that's just us being annoyed with, you know, a brief stint working in academia, but, uh, you know, why you're doing this and the shape of the city and, you know, why some stations have upside down cathedrals and the other ones have sleeping giants in the middle of them. It's, you know, there's sort of this, well, cities are weird. You you don't need to worry about that. It's it's uh, it, it, it's pretty fast and loose with the idea of canon. That sounds beautiful, uh, and I'm glad that people can already play your game just by going to this website. How far along would you say Subway Runners is? What more do you have to do? So Subway Runners, as a rules text, is published. It's available on Itch.io. If you backed the huge, enormous bundle that Itch.io promoted for racial equality. Good news, you already have Subway Runners. It it would be completely understandable for you not to be aware because there were hundreds and hundreds of games in there. But if you go to Itch.io, gemroomgames.itch.io, you will find out that you already have it. One of the nice things about using a generator like this is we can keep adding to it whenever we have the time and energy, which we've we've done a couple of times. We did a crossover event with Nevin for his Kickstarter for Gun and Slinger, um, where we added a bunch of, you know, cowboys and cursed guns to the subways. And we're we're trying to consistently add more so we can keep building it out. So in that regard, it's it's sort of a living thing. But the rules the rules are set, published, done. The generators uh, always have the potential for growth and change. Awesome. I wanted to to discuss or talk about uh, character creation a little bit more and the dynamic that goes into coming up with a character and specifically the sort of stylistic differences as well. Subway Runners is obviously really influenced by OSR. You mentioned Troika in your touchstones. How do you feel about having a character generated for you as in subway runners versus some some players really like to come up with an elaborate backstory and sort of that's where they really role play they feel like is is in the character creation process where do you stand or what's what sort of your take on character creation and the two different approaches myself i really enjoy coming up with something elaborate some background that i can really dig into this is just not the game for that. Uh, the goals of getting you started so quickly prioritized the random generation over the type of play where you would really be able to dig into your own backstory. From my perspective, the first tabletop RPG that I really cut my teeth on was um, Warhammer Fantasy, I think, second edition, which is very much... You don't even pick your name. You roll for your name because your parents would pick your name. I think the only thing you pick is is if you want to be a, a human, a dwarf, an elf, or a halfling. But other than that, you could pick stuff, I guess. But the game makes it pretty clear, like, nah, dog, you're named Alfred. 
And that's just what your parents picked. And I hope you like it. And so that's sort of where my understandings of like what a tabletop RPG really is kind of comes from. I really like games that give you opportunities to come up with, you know, your own elaborate backstory. And I think there's there's definitely a place for that. I think that's asking for a kind of investment in a character. And like Holly said, with Subway Runners, this is designed to be fast and I don't want to say disposable because that sounds a little pejorative to our own work, but it, it is you come up with it and you run it. And then if you need another one, there's always another one. And and you don't have to worry too much. All new characters. It's a it's an anthology series. It's not a well, also just because your character is generated for you doesn't mean that there aren't still opportunities for you to really dig in and take advantage of your own creativity. I had pulled up a character sheet and had Electric magic. What does that mean? When you have pilot skills and we get to ask you, what does that mean? There are still those opportunities for you to think of things yourself and put in your own take on the characters. Even though we've got these character sheets that provide you with so much... It it really does encourage you to to find the creativity in sort of forming the connective tissue between these hard established elements of, okay, you rolled that you're a princess and you also rolled that you start with a on fire two handed sword. And it is on you to link those two ideas on how that happened. And there's a lot of opportunities there to sort of fill those gaps and and get to discover a character that maybe you wouldn't have played on your own thank you dan and Kali. thank you again for talking about subway runners i'm actually really excited to look into subway runners after this and create some more characters if our listeners want to learn more about you or your games where can they go they can find all of our work at gemrumgames.itch.io or io want to keep up with changes that we're making or new games we also do sporadically uh, tweet about it at Gemroom Games on Twitter. Oh, thank you. And do you have anything else you want to plug? Anything at all? Would that we did. <laughs> that's that's kind of the thing. We were we were joking about the the makeup of Gemroom Games, and I think we agreed that scheduling is managed by our fourteen month old daughter, mm-hmm. who really determines when work gets done and and when when it does not. And we've been teething lately. That's what we're working on right now, and that's I think a big thing we'd like to plug. We've we've got some other games, and uh, we've got an adventure that we're really excited about, but nothing that our smallest intern has given us the chance to release yet. Yep, I'd say uh, keep an eye on on our Itch.io page. That's where anything we work on, that is where it will be. Thank you. And I'm sure other folks uh, designing games can empathize with the plight of parents as well. <laughs> the joy, the joy, Justin, of parenting. Not oh, yes. Ray, new parent to a puppy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for being with us. Well, this has been a great episode of Hacked in the Dark, a podcast featuring Forge in the Dark games and their designers. Again, I am Tanner Fairbanks, a travel-sized, apple-bottomed game designer. Oh, uh, and my love language is words of affirmation. And I am Quishel Xerxes, 
and you can check back into the podcast to see if that's accurate because I have no idea. But <laughs> I remember he did like pies. At least that was my head cannon. That was the fruitful void I got from the prompts. I was like, pies, definitely a pie eater. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for being my co-host today. Ray, do you have anything you would like to plug today before we go to our outro? I sure do. For All Mankind on Apple TV is amazing. Ronald D. Moore, shout out to him. Shout out to people involved in that show. Great science fiction show. <laughs> and that's it. You're not going to plug your game? Oh, uh, well, I my name is Ray. Uh, I make comics uh, under Mythopia. Check out my work at mythopia.us. M-Y-T-H-O-P-O-E-I-A dot U-S. But also check out For All Mankind. Okay. I will plug Enola Holmes. It's a very wholesome movie, especially if you like Sherlock. And it actually has some interestingly timely commentary on our on our times, believe it or not. Give it a look out on Netflix. Other than that, I will plug my own itch.io, moth-lands.itch.io. And remember, when it comes to design, we all begin our journey as hacks and thieves.